She had banished them to the servants' quarters for rest and refreshments, explaining by way of persuasion that she had not noticed any highwaymen or footpads or brigands or other assorted villains hovering about the inn, had they? And then, alone at last, she had discovered the window she was searching for, in the public taproom. It was not quite proper for her to be there unescorted, but the room was deserted, so where was the harm? Who was to know of her slight indiscretion? If any persons came before Tresham rode into the inn-yard, she would simply withdraw to her room until they left. When Tresham arrived, she would dash up to her room, so that when he entered the inn, she could be descending the stairs, all modest respectability, Betty behind her, as though she were just coming down to ask about him. Oh, it was very hard not to bounce around with impatience and excitement— She was nineteen years old, and this was almost the first time she had been more than ten miles from Acton Park. She had lived a very sheltered existence, thanks to a stern overprotective father and an absentee overprotective brother after him, and thanks to a mother who had never taken her to London or Bath or Brighton or any of the other places she herself had frequented. Angeline had entertained hopes of making her come out at the age of seventeen, but before she could muster all her arguments and begin persuading and wheedling the persons who held her fate in their hands, her mother had died unexpectedly in London, and there had been a whole year of mourning to be lived through at Acton. And then last year, when all had been set for her come out, at the indisputably correct age of eighteen, she had broken her leg, and Tresham, provoking man, had flatly refused to allow her to clump into the Queen's presence on crutches in order to make her curtsy and her debut into the adult world of the ton and the marriage mart. But now she was ancient, a veritable fossil, but nevertheless a hopeful, excited, impatient one. Horses! Angeline leaned her forearms along the window sill and rested her bosom on them as she cocked her ear closer to the window. And carriage wheels! Oh, she could not possibly be mistaken. She was not. A team of horses, followed by a carriage, turned in at the gate and clomped and rumbled over the cobbles to the far side of the yard. It was immediately apparent to Angeline, however, that this was not Tresham. The carriage was far too battered and ancient, and the gentleman who jumped down from inside it even before the coachman could set down the steps bore no resemblance to her brother. Before she could see him clearly enough to decide if he was worth looking at anyway, though, her attention was distracted by the deafening sound of a horn blast, and almost simultaneously another team and another coach hove into sight and drew to a halt close to the taproom door. Again, it was not Tresham's carriage. That had been apparent from the first moment. It was a stagecoach. Angeline did not feel as great a disappointment as might have been expected, though. This bustle of human activity was all new and exciting to her. She watched as the coachman opened the door and set down the steps and passengers spilled out onto the cobbles from inside and clambered down a rickety ladder from the roof. Too late, she realized, but of course all these people were about to swarm inside for refreshments and that she ought not to be here when they did. The indoor was opening even as she thought it, and the buzz of at least a dozen voices all talking at once preceded their owners inside, but only by a second or two. If she withdrew now, Angeline thought, she would be far more conspicuous than if she stayed where she was. Besides, she was enjoying the scene. And besides, again, 
If she went upstairs and waited for the coach to be on its way, she might miss the arrival of her brother, and it seemed somehow important to her to see him the moment he appeared. She had not seen him in the two years since their mother's funeral at Acton Park. She stayed and dissuaged her conscience by continuing to look out the window, her back to the room, while people called with varying degrees of politeness and patience for ale and pasties, and one or two instructed someone to look sharp about it, and the someone replied tartly that she had only one pair of hands, and was it her fault the coach was running an hour late and the passengers had been given only a ten-minute stop instead of half an hour? Indeed, ten minutes after the coach's arrival, the passengers were called to board again if they did not want to get left behind, and they hurried or straggled out, some complaining vociferously that they had to abandon at least half their ale. The tap room was soon as empty and silent as it had been before. No one had had time to notice Angela.